back just a few days ago in our devotion uh, that we're working through together, I was reminded of the comments that we had made back here a few weeks ago uh, as we were uh, encouraging each other to find your one. Uh, that one person that you're going to walk alongside of. That one person you're going to seek to encourage. The person that you're going to pray for. Uh, the person that you're going to give your life to for a period of time and helping them come to understand what it is to uh, walk with Christ. Uh, and on day 12 in our devotion, um, at the bottom of page 83 and then over on page 84, uh, this is what uh, Sinclair Ferguson wrote uh, as it pertained to um, giving attention to uh, the text of that day. It said, So today, in light of the journey of the wise men, take a moment to trace your own journey and to give thanks for the people and events that combine to bring you to worship Christ. And perhaps you should not be surprised if today you meet someone who, uh, without realizing what is happening to them, is experiencing uh, a secret instinct of the Spirit. Uh, be ready to help them on the road to Christ. And then today, uh, you may not have had an opportunity to read our devotion for today, uh, but today I was reminded of that same thing, uh, still giving attention uh, to, the, to the wise men. Um, here's what he had to say. There was something unique about the wise men's experience, uh, but we can also trace a pattern, an awakening, takes place and then a drawing and then a discovering and then a worshiping uh, at the end of the series uh, of lunchtime services uh, in city center church in which i served a young woman handed me a thick envelope many preachers uh, are so conscious of their weaknesses that they develop a dread of a thick envelope being handed to them chances are that is a letter of complaint but this one told the story of a young research scientist. Sitting in her university lab nearby, she became conscious that every Wednesday at 1 p.m. our church bell began to toll. It was not simply the clock chiming 1 p.m. because the bell kept ringing after that time. It felt like a summons, and when she realized that, she consciously resist, uh, resisted it week after week. And then one day her letter said she found herself sitting in the service which the bell announced like someone who realizes that they have driven the last 10 miles on the road without being conscious of it. She couldn't really remember getting up from her bench and leaving the lab and walking the half mile down the street. But she did. And that day she came to faith in Christ. Now weeks later uh, she wanted to share her story. We might call this the wise men pattern, or in the researcher's case, the wise woman pattern. Something stirs us spiritually, although we hardly realize it. Whatever grips us doesn't necessarily affect others in the same way. Perhaps we resist or take a wrong turning, thinking we can work things out on our own. But then, but then somehow, through a Christian, we know 
or a compulsion to read the Bible for ourselves, uh, we're led to Christ. Uh, I share that with you because uh, your influence uh, is tremendous in the life of your one. Uh, and if you haven't found your one, I want to encourage you to find your one. Uh, some of you have already shared that you have found your one and you've already started that journey with them. And I want to pray for you and I want to pray for your one. Uh, and then I want to pray for the rest of us as we continue to work to find that one uh, and pray that uh, according to God's will, uh, that he will uh, stir them uh, and he will awaken them. He'll draw them and that it will ultimately end in their worshiping him the king of kings and lord of lords let's pray together father we're reminded that you speak to the hearts of men and women in the most unexpected times and unexpected ways that you supernaturally work in them to cause them to hear something that they've never heard before and it awakens them. And then you draw them. And then they begin to understand who you are. And then they give themselves to you and worship you. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would use us as a people to connect with others in that way. And that you would help those who have not yet found their one to find their one. And then, Father, for those who are already investing in the lives of that one and maybe others, we come now and ask, according to your will, that you would awaken them and draw them to yourself, that they will know you and how glorious you are, and joy would well up in them, and that they would worship you and give their lives to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your copies of Scripture, if you will turn to uh, the 37th Psalm. Psalm 37, as you're turning there, just uh, remind you that this is the third week of our Advent series. Uh, remembering, we are considering Advent. That is the uh, coming of Christ, His first coming, the incarnation of of the second person of the triune Godhead, we're considering that through the lens of God doing His work towards something and for something that He has stated uh, that He loves. Uh, the first week we saw that God uh, loves His Son and that uh, He was sending His Son because He loved His Son. He intended to give His Son everything. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to give his son everything. And the way he would do this ultimately meant that there would be a creation that would reflect his glory. And as a part of that creation, God would create humanity. Uh, that is, image bearers of himself. Not gods, mind you, but image bearers of the one and the only God. And, and we say, all right, so, so far so good. But then there is a strange twist in what occurs, at least strange to us, 
in God's planning and in His providence, strange to us in our reasoning, these image bearers of God turned on Him, disobeyed Him, bringing about, uh, we would I think, devastating results. It, it, I don't even know that that captures it all. The first man and the first woman's sin, leaving humanity, and that is all their offspring, all their offspring, in a fallen state, a state where they were separated from God. In other words, the communion with God that they had known prior to their sin was no longer. It wasn't just disrupted, it was gone. It was gone. And it left them dead in their sin, and that separation, and then death was passed on, as we hear in Romans chapter 5, passed on and passed on and passed on. All the way to today, December 18th, 2022, the 7 billion people plus that live in the world today are apart from Him in that state. We'll come to understand what we mean by being apart from Him. But God had all along the way planned to send his son to redeem a people. In other words, uh, their sin did not have the final word. It, it never will. Even those who remain separated from God, they do not have the final word. That's what justice is. Justice is the final word. Justice is the final word when God meets that out to the righteous and to the unrighteous. That's the final word. And God has that final word, but He had planned all along to send His Son to redeem a people and restore a creation that would, by God's design, listen, possess the fullness of His glory and be deemed by Him to be the perfect gift for His Son. So when he said he wanted to give his son, and he was going to give his son everything, remember that that everything is the perfect thing, and the perfect thing is what he had planned through the course of redemption. And if you're here today and you've trusted Christ, you're a part of that perfect thing. And if you're here today and you've not yet trusted Christ, then you are not yet a part of that perfect thing. And justice will meet that out in the end. Justice will be served. But we discovered that His Son would do this. And this is the strange thing for us. Particularly when we come here today, and we've already sung about it and we've read about it. But this is the strange thing. That His Son would be the one to give His life for the redeemed, and for the gift. And that seems strange to us, but that was the Father's plan. And in the course of that, He loved His Son no less. That was the full demonstration of His love toward His Son. And that's the reason that we said Advent is God's loving response to His Son. And last week we saw that Advent was God's loving response to His own Word. We heard from the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul uh, in his letter to the church at Corinth that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. Uh, several of you mentioned through the course of the week how encouraged you were and, and how that uh, lifted your spirit. 
what that means, as we saw, is, is that throughout history, God made covenantal promises to certain of His image bearers. And these promises extended to their offspring. We looked at some of those promises. Each of these promises were tied to God sending His Son into the world to accomplish His redemptive work. So the promises of eternal life to those who would trust in the saving work of God, the promise of a future hope, the promise of heaven, all of these wonderful promises of being restored to fellowship with God and living with Him for all eternity, all of these were a resounding yes and amen only because God sent His Son. Had Christ not come, God's promises would not have been fulfilled, but we know that God doesn't lie. He was going to fulfill His promises, and He did. And today we want to turn our attention to another one of God's act, His loving response. Advent is God's loving response for justice. You've turned to Psalm 37. Uh, before we look at it, though, I, I want to make a few comments. Uh, I know some of you are praying through the Psalms, so we're having discussions about that. But I just want to say this. If you've ever spent much time reading and meditating on the Psalms, you've noticed just how practical they are. They just really are. They're honest in expressing the thoughts of the mind, the fears and the struggles of the heart, the confession of sin, and just they, they explode with expressing the absolute weakness of mankind. Now, every time I go into the psalm, I go in as a weak vessel, being reminded again of my weakness. Well, the psalmist will often cry out to God in utter despair. We hear that over and over again. And he never acts as though God doesn't exist. But there are times the psalmist wonders when he'll show up. When will he actually act? In much the same way as we saw in Habakkuk um, just a few weeks ago. But there's something else that we find in the Psalms. By the grace of God, there is always the understanding that God can be and even should be trusted. I want you to hear that. Can be and should be trusted. In fact, it is because we are so desperate that we should turn to Him. In fact, there's no one else to turn to. If there is any hope for things to be righted, if there is any hope for justice, because that's what justice does, what justice is, is making things right, squaring them up, getting them turned right side up, uh, rather than upside down. And if there's any hope for that, It'll have to be found in Him. And that's what we will see expressed this morning in our text. I want you to listen uh, as we read that. But finally, we need to understand that when we are being pointed to hope in God, when we do that in the Old Testament, and I want you to hear that, because some may find a disconnect here by going to Psalm 37 today. But here's what I want you to hear. That when we go to the Old Testament... We are speaking no less of the gospel. 
When we go to the Old Testament and we are pointed toward God, when we're pointed toward Him, just in the practical, everyday walk of life, those kinds of things that uh, we've not left the gospel. No. What I mean is the hope that we have is only hope because of the coming of Christ. When the psalmist was writing and the Holy Spirit was working through David and the other psalmist, there was, that was the third person of the triune Godhead working through them, pointing them to look ahead to the day when all these things that we have talked about would be fulfilled and even worked out through the practical everyday affairs of our life. The things that make us cry, the things that make us laugh, the things that cause us hurt and pain, the things that bring us joy. Most of those things in our everyday walk of life don't seem all that deep. In fact, they seem kind of mundane, just kind of everyday-ish kinds of things. But, this is the key, but we are no less talking about the fulfillment of what Christ does when we go there. And we'll make that connection in a moment. Hopefully, as we read the text, we'll, we'll begin where the psalmist begins. Not in the deep, not in the heady, not even in the heavens so much. He begins with just the practical struggles of life. And that pushes him to look and to recognize there is something more here. Something more here. There is something that's governing this. All of this. There's something. There's someone. And that's where he points us to. Now let's hear the song. A psalm of David. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they'll soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil uh, devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he'll not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance. 
but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. Those cursed by Him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. I've been young and now I'm old. Yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He's ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He'll not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will, look, you will look on when the wicked are cut off. I've seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there's a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall all be together destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Will you pray with me? Father, help us to see Christ and His coming and His bringing forth justice. in this text and in our everyday walk of life in struggles with injustice. In Christ's name, amen. First thing that's clear is that David the psalmist recognizes that evil and evildoers exist. Make a note of that. Evil and evildoers exist. They did then they did when the first man and the first woman sinned. Evil and evildoers existed, uh, and they exist today. The second thing that we recognize is that at times it appears that evil and evildoers are thriving. And not only are they thriving, they are enjoying, if you will, uh, an, an abundance in life. It just, they do. And we look at it, and for uh, those uh, who would fall within the category of righteous, and we're not talking about perfect, we're talking about those who have trusted Christ. We look at that, we see those things, and we recognize that somehow or another that, that just doesn't seem fair in our world of fairness. The third thing that is evident is that this psalm, a psalm of instruction, we hear David say repeatedly, do not fret. Look at verse 1, fret not. Look at verse 7, fret not. 
Verse 8, fret not. In other words, what I think he is pointing to is that we have a tendency to fret, become unsettled, to worry. Worry in, in a kind of way when we see injustice. That's what David's saying. This is our tendency. And so he's saying, don't fret, don't worry. It's a reason why he begins there, and that is repeated. The second thing that we see that he says is, don't be angry. Look at verse 8. I don't think the idea here is not to be angry because injustice exists. There should be a righteous indignation on our part as believers when we see things that are wrong. And I believe there is in some sense, by God's common grace, a righteous indignation, if you will, that comes upon the part of even unbelievers who see and recognize injustice and they are disturbed about it. That's not the anger that he's talking about because if you look back in verse 1, not only does he say, fret not, he says, be not envious. I believe this anger is toward uh, anger that leads to envy. Why? Well, why not? Somebody has something that we think we should have and we become angry. We become envious of that. And David is saying at least we worry and at the very least we have a tendency toward this kind of anger that leads to envy. And then the third thing he says is don't take matters into your own hand. In other words, don't you try to bring about justice in your own mind in that same context of I'm worried, I'm angry, don't try to take things into your own hand. Notice what he says in verse 8. He says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. In other words, we're not trying to seek to get even. You say, what does all this have to do with justice? Well, notice that David is in the, the everyday throes of life and all of these examples are coming up and this is an injustice and he is warning, giving instruction, this is not why and the way you deal with it. So worrying, envying, getting even are the ways that we are tempted uh, to respond to these kinds of injustices. Particularly a kind of injustice when wicked seem to prosper. In other words, when evil seems to thrive. We're living in a day like that now. You know that, don't you? Where it looks as though evil seems to thrive. And the righteous seem to be beaten down. So what are we not to do? Well, we're not to worry. And we're not to get angry and get mad because we want what we, what, what we think we should have. And our response should not be in the course of that, that I'm going to right this wrong, I'm going to bring about justice. No. But I wonder if there are any of us who have ever responded in these ways. I wonder if maybe there even may be a little twinge of that in us right now. Possibly. But David goes on to tell us why we shouldn't worry. Why we shouldn't envy or seek to get even. And he tells us in two ways. I want us to look in verse 28. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake His saints. They are preserved forever. So we hear that the Lord loves justice. Now our argument today is, is that Advent is God's loving response for justice. Now we can't deny that God loves justice because the Holy Spirit has spoken through David and says what? 
that God loves justice. So what is open here is how does the advent pertain to that? How does the coming of Christ, how does God incarnate, how does His coming on what we celebrate as Christmas, how does His coming into the world have bearing upon God working that out, doing that, planning that, because He loves justice. That's kind of what's in front of us. Keep that in mind. And the other thing that we hear, and if you'll look back over in verse 6, He'll bring forth your righteousness. Okay, so we have two things. The Lord loves justice. He'll not forsake His saints. And the Lord not only loves justice, but He will bring forth justice as the noonday. Now, I want you to hold this because those of you who worship with us and who are part of, uh, of, of OVC, you know this, that when Adam started out and he read our call to worship, that was every much a text to give consideration to what we're talking about now. And when we looked at our confession, it was every bit pointing to what we're looking at now. So just remember the things that we have already heard about Christ coming and bringing forth justice, establishing justice. We began with that, we'll end with that. But listen to how God executes justice. In other words, the psalmist points us to this. We are not to worry, we're not to fret, we're not to get angry, in other words, become envious, and we are not to take matters into our own hand. Why? Well, because God loves justice, and He's going to bring about justice. He loves it, He's going to bring it about. And who better to bring about justice than God? The only one who is just. I can't bring it about. And so he points us, and I, you may want to follow through here. You may want to write these verses down, just the verse number. But in verse 1, we hear that wrongdoers will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. Justice. Verse 9, evildoers shall be cut off. Justice. Verse 10, in just a little while the wicked will be no more, though they look carefully at his place. He'll not be there. Verse 13, the Lord laughs at the wicked, for He sees that His day is coming. Verse 14, Their own sword, the sword that they wield against the righteous, their own sword will enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. In verse 17, The arms of the wicked shall be broken. Verse 20, the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. What's the glory of the pasture? Just beautiful flowers. But what happens? They leave. They go away. They vanish like smoke. Verse 22. Those cursed shall be cut off. And then look at verses 35 and 36. The psalmist David says, I've seen the wicked. Ruthless man. Spreading himself like a green laurel. In other words, he's just spreading himself out and all of his wickedness and he's gaining and he's prospering seemingly. And, but he passed away and he was no more. He said, I even looked for him. He could not be found. And then in verse 38, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. That's a good ending there, isn't it? The future of the wicked shall be cut off. 
By whom? By God. The Lord is the judge. He's the judge. He loves justice. He's going to execute justice. He loves what is right. He loves justice. And here's what we can be assured of. Now listen, this applies to all of us. So this spreads across. If we are in the category of the wicked, that is, if we haven't trusted Christ, here's what he is saying. I will not let the wicked, I will not let the wrong, I will not let the evil, and I will not let the evildoers persist or go unpunished. That's his word. But notice what else David says. He says he loves justice. God loves justice. He'll not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. Listen to that. We mentioned earlier that the psalmist always points us to God. And he never leaves us apart from considering the grace of God and his salvation. He never does. So, who are his saints and what do they do? would be a reasonable question. In fact, it would be the one if I were here today and I was unsure if I were a saint. If I was unsure that I was a saint. If I was unsure that I fell within the category, that particular category, I would be wanting to know, tell me, tell me who the saint is. And then tell me what I should do. Well, notice they are saints because God has declared them saints. Notice it is God who says that they are saints. They don't, that is not a self-declaration. Okay? So we know that, those here today who have trusted Christ, we know that is not a self-declaration. That's the reason that I read those two portions from our devotion. That God awakened God drew. God worked. God saved. God saved. And then we worshiped. Then we worshiped. That's the point, isn't it? Then we worship. It's important for us to get this. We do not declare ourselves to be His. He declares us to be His. Now remember, David has said, don't fret, don't envy, don't take matters into your own hand. In other words, here's the saint. The saint has relinquished, relinquished being the God of his own life that would, in fact, either worry because they were hit head on with the fact, I have no control over this. We worry about things that we have no control over. We give way too much attention in wrong ways for things that we have no control over. Tell me today, honestly, what in your life do you have control over? What do you have control over? I find every day I don't have control over a thing. Nothing. Nothing. Have no control over it. Should send all of us into a state of depression and worry and despair. It should. In fact, it does some. And for some of us, 
In seasons, we will face those things. The point is, is that we relinquish that. We relinquish that. The saint has relinquished that and said, God, this is yours. And we find it out because this is what David, remember what he says. He says, fret not, envy not, don't take matters into your own hand. In other words, relinquish those things, let go of those things, and look back in verse 3, and then do this. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Wait on the Lord. They're in sequence. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. There's an old hymn. Uh, I don't think, in fact, I know we haven't. We have not sang this hymn yet. It may be something we sing. But it says, Thy way not mine, O Lord, however dark it be, O lead me by thine own right hand. Choose out the path for me. Smooth let it be or rough, it will still be the best. Winding or straight, it matters not, it leads me to thy rest. I dare not choose my lot, I would not if I might, but choose thou for me, O my God, so shall I walk aright. Take thou my cup and it with joy or sorrow fill, as ever best to thee may seem, choose thou my good or ill. Choose thou, thou for me, my friends, my sickness or my health. Choose thou my cares for me, my poverty or wealth. The kingdom that I seek is thine, so let the way that leads it to be thine, else I must surely stray. And then the closing stanza is this, not mine, not mine the choice. In things or great or small, be thou my guide, my strength, my wisdom, and my all. That's what it means to trust in. To delight yourself in Him. In other words, find your joy in Him. Make that your joy. You say, how can I make that my joy? Listen, when we go after God, God gives us, it says that. Look at what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. If you long for Him and you go after Him and that is where your joy is, then that's what He's going to give you. Man, I was so deeply convicted of that this morning as I was looking at it again. In, in seasons where I lack joy. Why? Because I am looking somewhere else. I'm doing something else other than seeking to the light in God. The point is, faith in the Lord is the cure for unrighteousness and wickedness. And, and I know we don't like to talk of, speak of ourselves as being unrighteous and wicked. We're not really that bad. Oh no, we really are that bad. We were bad enough that Christ had to die to redeem us. <laughs> the Son of God gave His life to redeem you. That's how bad you are. That's how bad I am. Yeah, faith in the Lord is secure for unrighteousness and wickedness. Remember that faith in the Lord is counted to us as righteousness. And we know that. Because God repeatedly tells us in His Word that 
we must trust uh, in the Lord. That we must trust in Him. We must place our faith and trust in Him if we're to have life. Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. Our faith is counted to us as righteousness. That's what David means when he said, He will bring forth your righteousness. How will He bring forth your righteousness in your unrighteousness? When we trust in Him and place our faith in Him and in His righteousness, in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are guaranteed to be righteous. Maybe not in actions all the time, certainly not. But when we talk about Christ's imputed righteousness on us, that's what He's doing. He's bringing forth that righteousness so that we will possess the land. We will be with Him. So that we, as the psalmist says, for the Lord loves justice, He'll not forsake the saints. They are preserved forever. Forever. So here are the results of the righteous. We made a list of how He's going to exact justice. Well, here's here's the justice of God by His grace on the righteous, those who have trusted in Him. Verse 4, He'll give you the desires of your heart. I said it a while ago. He'll give you Himself. Man, I want God. I don't want to be God. I want God. That's what He's saying. And then He'll give Himself to us in that way. Verse 9, Those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 11, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Verse 18, The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They're not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance. Verse 22, For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. You keep hearing this. Verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord and when he delights in his way and though he fall, though he fall, he shall not be cast held low for the Lord upholds his hand. Verse 28, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Look at those things. Verse 39, mark the blameless and behold the upright, for theirs is a future for the man of peace. And then in verses 39 and 40, the salvation of the righteous, the salvation, their being saved, comes from God, it's from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them, delivers them, He delivers them from the wicked and He saves them because they take refuge in Him. Please hear this today. Full and final justice comes in Christ. David could see what he saw, experience what he experienced, deal with it, battle it, because Christ, the Son of God, who had not yet become flesh, was in fact going to become flesh and seal for all time and eternity justice. And that's the reason that David could say, don't take justice in your own hand. Don't worry about this. Don't fret. Don't envy. God has this. 
full and final justice comes in Christ. Everything that David experienced prompted the Holy Spirit to speak through him in this way. And it's grounded in the reality of the coming of Christ. And this is why we say that full and final justice came in Christ. It is why we can say today, Advent is God's loving response for justice. I want to close with these texts. You may want to write them down, but I want you to listen to them. Turn to them if you will. But if you have a difficult time getting there, just listen. Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts confuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, Paul writes says, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Hear that? God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. In Acts chapter 10, verses 39 through 43. <clears throat> and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. This is the testimony and the witness of the apostles. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. The judge is the one who exacts justice. He has been appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. In Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, some of you will recognize that text. It's Paul is in Athens and he is in the Areopagus. He's given a defense for the gospel in front of the philosophers, the Greek philosophers of the day. He said, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. He's talking about Christ Jesus. By a man whom he has appointed. And this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And then Romans chapter 3 verses 23 through 26. Brian you knew we were going to get there. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Advent is really a loving response on God's part because He says, I love justice. And I'm going to bring justice to bear. What does that mean? It means for the person that rejects God, person who doesn't trust in the atoning work of Christ, that person will be judged accordingly for having denied and rejected Christ, the one God has sent to redeem. For the believer, what does that mean? Well, for the person who's trusted Christ, please hear me, you deserve the same thing that an unbeliever deserves. Except by the grace of God, He has awakened you, He has drawn you, He has done His work in you, and now you worship Him. And in meeting out justice, God is in this sense, and I'm going to use this word, and this is going to be a hard word for some of us, God is obligated not toward showing us grace in that way. But when He has awakened us and we have trusted in Him and given our life to Him, Christ's death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection and His righteousness is our righteousness. A gift of God. A gift of God. And in that, we won't receive what we deserve, but we have been given life and its fullness. Dwell on that. Dwell on that. Let it cover over you. And if you are a believer, worship. And if you're an unbeliever, please believe today. Please.